Here is the link, joylandlife.com forward slash join. If you uh, can just write that down or remember it, you can check our weekly meeting schedule. As it stands right now, we've got a Ascension group on Monday. We've got, uh, Vicki is running this amazing ladies' tea on Tuesday. We've got another Ascension group on Wednesday, I believe, Wednesday afternoon. There's a Bible study on Monday night. There's a Bible study on Tuesday night that's just a real freewheeling discussion. If you want to ask questions on Tuesday, if you want to ask questions, and I mean any questions you want to ask, I can't guarantee any of us will have the answer, but we'll sure all cheer your question on. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. And then Thursday morning is one of my favorite meetings. A few of us get together and just have breakfast. And uh, there's nothing overtly spiritual about that except, uh, uh, you know, some good poached eggs or something along those lines. So anyway, we got stuff going on almost every day. And I just really encourage you guys to grab that link and uh, and see what's up with it. So Raleigh, go ahead and put that. There you go. One more time in case anybody just needs to write it down. Joylandlife.com. Join. And we update it all the time. And it's always got the Zoom information. If we ever have to use passwords, it'll all be there as well. Okay, next is if any of you uh, are, are new to us and want to stay abreast of what's going on here via text, uh, we have a text network, and you just text the word Joyland to the numbers 31996. So Joyland 31996. I'll leave that up just for a second, so in case anybody wants to write that down. And uh, if you're familiar with that kind of text messaging, you'll send us that message, Joyland, to 31996, and then it'll auto-send to the uh, notification that you got through back to you. And then after that, uh, we're not going to spam you a bunch, but we just keep you posted on what's going on. Used to, we used to use it in case church got canceled, but uh, now there's no reason to cancel church. Rain, snow, sleet, sunshine, <laughs> doesn't matter. So uh, anyway, that's a way you can stay in touch with us. Joyland 31996. And then this last thing, I, I had somebody point out to me that we were just showing the uh, the giving app. So this is how we're staying in touch with people, both uh, with information about the church and uh, opportunities to give. So uh, consider downloading one of these apps and then search for Joyland in Colorado Springs. The blue one is the Tithely Church app. And you can get on that. Uh, it, you can get to that schedule. You also have access to all the messages and a whole bunch of them in the past. We have new podcasts coming out all the time. And some of these... Uh, service messages are going up there. They go up almost every week. There's a bunch of stuff that's going on. The app's pretty cool. It'll uh, let you know who's doing what and so on. Oh yeah, there's prayer requests and there's a, a neat copy of, of uh, the Bible on there that you can study with us. And we have something new coming up. We've got some courses uh, for a thing we're calling Trinity U and we're working on getting that posted. There's a section for that right now that's just pending. But before very long, there'll be at least our first course, which is a seven series course that I taught on the New Testament, and I mean the New Covenant, and uh, root it in the Old Testament, root it in the New Testament, go through it all. It's, it's one of my passions about the New Covenant. Then the, the green one, if you do download the church app, you can give through there. But if you just want to have an access to give to us uh, or, or to give to some of the people that we support, we've got some people in Uganda and other things that are going on, that's the Tidely Giving app, and it's pretty simple. You download it, uh, put your bank information in it, and then you can give one time or, uh, and when I say put your bank information in it, that means give us everything. No, that doesn't. It means you associate a card with it that it can draw from from your bank. So, but anyway, uh, so those are our two giving and information oriented apps. And now, this is what the message is today. Perfect love cast out fear.
But there's a couple questions that come to my mind and have for many years with that. One, how do I know if my love's perfect? Anybody ever thought that? And then what do I do with it when it is perfect? So that's what we're going to talk about. So what faces New Testament sons? I had a couple super interesting conversations this week, and it kind of shaped what I was going to share with you today. One of them was a question, or one of them was a comment by somebody which I really took to heart, and it was that, are we going to talk about COVID-19 again and again and again and again? And, uh, uh, you know, it's a big deal, obviously, and it's touching lives, and it's not all turning out horrible, as John is here testifying to. But uh, I understand the sentiment, you know? So what we're, what we're going to look at tonight, in fact, it does have an impact on what's going on with COVID. Because the second question that was asked me was this. Now that we're starting in the country, we're starting to kind of, in our country anyway, we're starting to back out of this a little bit and begin to open up some businesses and open up some things or at least talk about the plans for it. They asked me if I thought it was going to go easy. And I think some of the business things are. I think there's a hunger out there to get back in business, get back to work. That's going to go good. But the one thing that I didn't think is going to be easy, and that is letting go of the fear that so many people have embraced. And this is not a new problem with this. I mean, everything down the pipe, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's weather-related, whether it's politics or war or anything like that, it's a, it's a tool the enemy uses of fear to try to control us. And I believe that we as sons of God, I believe as we, and that sons is male or female, kid or, or adult, I believe that we have the answer to that fear. And I think that we've not taken full advantage of it for the most part. And so I'm going to talk about that a little tonight. So here's that passage. Uh, what, what faces New Testament sons? In, in as much, therefore, as the children have blood and flesh in common, he too shared in these same things, so that by death he might render the one holding the power of death. That is the slanderer. That's a good translation. You know, a lot of times it's translated devil or sometimes accuser. Slanderer is it. He doesn't fight fair. He brings an accusation against you. He picks on a mistake you made. And then he turns it on you to try to attack your worth. Um, Skinner's have been leading a Bible study for a long time on Monday nights, a great one. And for a few weeks ago, uh, I think Jen was on here a little bit earlier. Yeah, Gabe and Jen are here. So Gabe was leading us in a Bible study about shame and, and, and trying to just expose all that kind of stuff. That's what he uses. He uses shame, and look what he does. The slanderer who, holding the power of death, the slanderer, ineffectual, that he might liberate, he being Jesus, those who had all their lives been bound in slavery by the fear of death. So this is going to be my last reference to COVID-19 tonight. A version of the fear of death has been embraced by millions of people around the world. Millions and millions. The fear of death. And unfortunately, you know, you can see how this stuff works when, when only one side of the story is told, when there's no, very few stories of recovery, where there's weird, exaggerated figures. And, and it all centers around provoking slavery through the fear of death. And this is what Jesus came to undo. Because it's a common situation. Adam put himself in bondage because he was afraid of God. He hid. He quarantined. We have the power to overcome this. 
It's our birthright as sons. So he came to liberate those who all their lives had been bound in slavery by fear of death. That is what I want to talk about tonight. What is it that we have access to that can help liberate our friends, our family, our neighbors, and the world at large from the fear of death? All right, what do we New Covenant sons know that unfortunately the remainder of the world has hidden to them? What do we know that people don't? Here it is. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. There's a lot of information in the Bible. But there is nothing more important and nothing more life-changing than that one thing right there. And there's two parts to it. We have come to know. A lot of people know. A lot of people in the Western world know. A lot of people down in Australia New Zealand know because the gospel's gone out in a lot of places. We have come to know. You ask somebody, do you think God loves you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most church people say that. But the second part is we have come to know and have believed. And I, if I were to ask for a, a show of hands here, I would say all of us sometime in the last couple of years in our life probably let ourselves slip into doubt about the nature, the currency, the reality, the intensity, the personalness of the love of God for us. Now, hopefully some of us can say no. But it's a constant temptation. It's, it's, it's what the, the slanderer does. He points out the truth about our mistakes, and he goes, how could God love that? He points out the promises we've made that we haven't kept. And we end up taking his side, judging the quality of our relationship with God and, and, and judging literally the love of God that's extended to us in Christ Jesus. And so when we step into sonship, when we abide in sonship, we start to ask that question and, and to accept that bait less and less. We have come to know and have believed the love God has for us. Okay, let's go to this next one. So love in the life of a new covenant son, this is in 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to spend the rest of a few minutes in 1 John chapter 4. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let me emphasize a couple of things and then I'm going to break down a couple of phrases here. The first one is, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So the love of God that we're going to be talking about tonight is not something that originates with us. We love because he first loved us. That goes for every single body here. We love because he first loved us. Okay, then this propitiation idea I want to look at. So, yeah, keep this on while I'm going through the Greek part here. This word is hilasmos. And this is a definition from Thayer's. It's an appeasing propitiation and the means of appeasing a propitiation. Now, if you've been at Joyland a long time, you've heard me talk about this several times, but I had the most amazing discovery when I was first trying to figure out this word propitiation because it isn't a word I use every uh, every day in my, in my language. And all my life, all my life in church for many, many years, I mean like 40 years plus, yeah. Yeah, really, it was 40 years plus, a little bit. The idea of propitiation was uh, sort of explained by a king and his army besieging a city 
and sort of holding that city hostage. In the city then, the propitiation was them filling a chest full of gold and, and maybe bringing a few virgins and going out to propitiate the king, to let his anger go back. Now, there is a Greek application to that word, hilasmos, that fits that, that bill. But this thing is only used a couple of times in the New Testament, three times exact. It's used the one we're looking at here in 1 John 4. It's used in Hebrews chapter 9, 5, and in Romans 3, 25. These are times, and these are written by people who are, are oriented into the Hebraic meaning of these things, not the Greek meaning. And the amazing and beautiful thing about this is look at this first definition of this related word. You can tell they're just one number apart in their, uh, in their concordance listings. And one's, one's a verb and one is something else. <laughs> Anyhow, hilasterios, hilasterion, related to appeasing or expiating and having placated or an expiating force. But look at this first definition down here. The well-known cover of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. So this word, these words are used only about three times in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, this family of hilasterion, hilasmos, is used over 300 times. And all but one time, it speaks of one thing only, and that is the gold lid to the Ark of the Covenant that had the cherubims on the end, and it had the filigree around the edges, it's the, it's the mercy seat. It's the place where the high priest sprinkled blood once a year. It's the place where God's Shekinah glory dwelt in the holy of holy place between, between the uh, wings of the cherubim. And the only time it's not referring to that, it's referring specifically to that little edge around the outside, that, that raised filigreed edge. So the, the preponderance of meaning for the word propitiation clearly clearly, is this place where the blood touched and God met man's sins and they were no more. A better understanding of this word propitiation than a sacrifice that was brought out to an angry king is a place that was given by that king, not angry, where men and God could meet and where their sins could be of no effect. If you go on further... This section down here in Hebrews 9.5 that's talking about it is talking about Jesus going into the temple, not of earth, not made by hands, but in heaven, and shedding his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, once for all. This is the mercy seat. Jesus is the meeting place between God and man where man's sins no longer define that relationship. That's the mercy seat. That's the propitiation. This is love that... And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. So just allow yourself, and you can study it out and see if I'm right, allow yourself, when you see that word propitiation, to say meeting place, the meeting place between God and man, where sin is no longer a problem. It'll revolutionize the way you understand the gift of the love of Jesus Christ from the Father. This other part I want to talk about is if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So this brings us to the first of the important questions. How do I know when my love is perfect? All right, here we go. His love is perfected in us. 
If you'll think for a second what this means, it means we don't start with our love. We start with his love. How many of you find it difficult to believe that God's love is perfect? I don't. I have a hard time believing mine is, but that's not the love that we're starting with. His love is perfected in us. Let me show you this word perfected. It's teleo. Probably mispronounced it. Perfect, perfect. To carry through. Now listen to this. When it says his love is perfected in us, the word for perfected is to carry through completely, to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end. Now let me guarantee you something. Every one of us, at one point in our life, if we were to read a definition like that, we would take that on as a personal responsibility. And we'd go, oh God, help me to accomplish with my love. Help me to finish my love. Help me to bring to an end the the right goal for my love. Because we are legalists at heart and we're slaves by old nature. Cast it off. First of all, it's not talking about our love. Our love is not being judged in this. It's God's love. That's what it says. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The next definition, to complete or to perfect, to add what is yet lacking in order to render a thing full. Full means complete. The word uh, teleos, I had an illustration a long time ago in Bible college. The guy was trying to say, you're overthinking this. You're adding a big, huge moral component to it. You're adding a big list of holiness things to it. Here's what you need to think. A paper clip. Ever see a paper clip? Little wire bent like that. A paper clip is perfect for its design. Because every time you take three or four sheets of paper and slide that on there, it holds them together. It's relative to design. It's relative to purpose. It's not a moral list that is out there in the ether someplace being compared against a holy uh, image of God that is distant and far away and and un, living in inapproachable light. I'm not saying he's not doing that. I'm saying that's not what this is about. To bring to the end or the goal that is proposed. And then the last definition, to accomplish and to bring to close or fulfillment by an event. What I want you to understand is that the the... The concept of perfection, love perfected, is God's love in us finding an expression. Okay? Let's keep going. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever studied uh, with Kenneth Wiest's New Testament, but he's, uh, it was written back in the late 60s. It was super important to me when I was young. And, and Kenneth Wiest is a Greek scholar, and he goes through, and he, he wrote this New Testament um, concentrating on the, on the literal Greek nuances of the words. And this is how this verse 12 reads in in his testament. If we habitually are loving one another, God in us is abiding. And his love has been brought to its fullness in us and exists in that state of fullness. Now, somebody should unmute and go hallelujah, because this is like huge This is not a task for us to try to refine our love. Let me read it again. If we habitually are loving one another, thank you. (laughs) If we habitually are loving one another. All right, what does that mean? That just means we're making a habit 
of loving the people that come across our path. That's all. That is what triggers this perfection. If we are habitually loving one another, God in us is abiding. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. You know, most Christians are on a lifelong goal of trying to live the Christian life to the fullest. God wants to live his life in us, and it doesn't get any fuller than that. It does not get any fuller than that. God is in, uh, in us is abiding, and his love, his love has been brought to its fullness in us and exists in that state of fullness. That is a definition of love perfected. God is the initiator. And then you guys know, you know, further up in John, it says, I mean, John 4, it says, we love because he first loved us. All right, let's keep going. What is the scope of that love perfected in the New Testament son? Well, here it is. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The sheer act of you having life by the spirit of God is a testimony that God's abiding in you and that the scope of his love maturing and being released through you is simply contingent on you loving the next person that you come across. We have seen and testify the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, I don't know what that that passage of Scripture does to you, but what it does to me is this. I'm guaranteed that as long as I'm walking in this cosmos, anybody that I walk across is a candidate for this love. I don't have to have a gift of discernment to decide, Lord, do you want to love that one? Oh, no, I'm going to love that one. This one, uh, I don't know, I can't tell. He's the Savior of the whole world. You're not going to waste love no matter who you direct it at. All right, how do we engage in this? This is really, uh, this is really complicated, so you might want to take notes. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Paul said, who, who, you know, whoever uh, uh, believes in his heart that God raised him from the dead and, and cries out, names the name of Christ, confesses Christ. Guys, this is not complicated. Every one of you whose face I can see and even those who don't have your video on, every one of you guys has confessed Christ. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. So here's that. Here's the criteria. This is how we engage. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. You know what the problem is with this and it and not seeming like it applies to perfected love? We think that the primary result of confessing Jesus is that we get saved and get to go to heaven. That's not it. The primary result in confessing Jesus is that the love of the Father is shed abroad in your heart. Heaven's a byproduct of that. It's not the goal. The love of the Father in your heart is the truth. That's what we gain in Christ. It's a stunning gift. It's a simple gift. We have come to know and have believed that love which God has for us. 
You can understand why people have a hard time if they're thinking the other way. If they think that all this energy by God is designed so that we can go from a place of heading into some fiery torment, and now we're getting to go up into heavenly bliss where we fly around and play harps or do whatever we do. If you think that that's the use of that energy, you're not even going to be prepared to look for the fullness of God's love to manifest in your heart when you look at somebody and have compassion on them. So let's change our thinking. Let's turn around a little bit. We have come to know. Bless you for knowing that God loves you. Now believe it. Believe it when something falls apart. Believe it when, for some reason, a mortgage payment's late or a rent payment's late. Believe it when somebody says some ugly thing about you. Believe it when somebody uh, looks at you funny. I mean, you can't tell that now because we all wear a mask, but used to. <laughs> Think back. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. All right, let's keep going. By this, love is perfected with us. By this knowledge that God has given his son to fill us with his own love. By this we know. So remember the question earlier, how do I know when my love is perfected? You know your love is perfected when you confess Jesus Christ. You know your love is perfected when, when you realize that His love is being perfected in you. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. Guys, I know that's hard to believe. But Jesus said it to His disciples. He said, uh, He breathed on them, and He said, filled the Holy Spirit, and said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, I don't know what you think about your current condition. I don't know what I think about mine all the time. But I know that I can believe this because this is the new covenant. This is what makes us new covenant sons. God says, I will put my law in your hearts and, and, and write it in your minds. He says, I will be your God. Do you understand that he made that claim? He's not asking you to do anything to be our God. He says that. God's your God because He chose to. He chose to be your God. And you're His because He chose you. Jesus said that to His disciples. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit that the Father would be glorified. And that was just after He said, hey, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends because I want to open my heart and the Father's heart up to you. It's a beautiful thing. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. I think, um, I think these two highlighted points here is, is really what is going to be hard to come out of a little bit. Because there are people who have embraced fear for a lack of knowing that God loves them. And, you know, Paul said, how will they know if someone doesn't tell them? And Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So that's why I say, let's, let's take advantage of this love that has been perfected in us. God's worked out all the kinks, so his love fits in us fully. He's worked it out. 
And so all we have to do is love. Try loving the next person. Try capturing a thought when you want to say somebody's a jerk or judge them or something along those lines. That's all it takes is just to say, no, you made this person, Lord. We don't believe in separation. We don't believe in that doctrine. We don't believe in that concept. So that means that, unfortunately, for our uh, ease and peace of mind sometimes, we don't have an outside place to put people. They can be as nice or as, as cranky as they want, and they're still part of us. They're still one of us. They're still with us, and we're in this together. So that's just love. And the point is this. Look, we love because he first loved us. So I'm going to tell you something here. Resist the temptation to judge the quality of your love. Let me say it again. Resist the temptation to mute yourself by judging the quality of your love. Because here's the facts. Your love's not the point anyway. His love is. Just love someone in front of you. Love somebody that doesn't know that God loves them and that hasn't yet come to believe the love he has for them. This is the glory of being a son of God. And, and we can all help in a, a number of ways, you know, uh, as we get out of this COVID thing. But there's nobody else, nobody but the sons of God to pass this on to love people without shame. And um, Gabe and, and, and Jen, when they were going through their Bible study all the time, one of the questions came up, is there room for shame in a relationship with God? The answer is no. He says, your sins I will remember no more. No, not ever. So here we are, sons of God, carrying the greatest gift that the world has ever possibly known. And it is this gift, the life-transforming gift. Richard's on here, Richard and Jen, and I know he and I talk a lot about this. What is it that changes a life? It's coming to know that you are irrevocably, completely, irreversibly loved by the Father. And then you can be wrong on about a thousand other things. But if you know that, it'll transform your life. And if we can have confidence to not judge our own quality of love, but simply use whatever's there because God's the one perfecting His in us. It's not our love that's at stake. It's His. If we can just reach out in love. And what is love? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. doesn't seek its own. No, it doesn't rejoice in other people's suffering. These are simple things. And God's Spirit will take that love in you of God and make it palatable to the world around you if we'll just love the person in front of us. I don't know how many of you know Heidi Baker, but that's what she says. Stop for the one. Love the one. Love the one.